Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 500 The 500 J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition So it ain't nothing to new Hundreds more to go And in need of a friend The king of these for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end with my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. Oh, yeah, you know John Shaft is on the case. This sounds like every porno my dad used to watch that I found in this porn box after he died. <laughs> the song is Night by Night. It's by Steely Dan from the 1974 album Pretzel Logic. It is also number 386 out of 500 on to 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, you kadoogly spooglies? Man, oh man, Fleece Army. It has been a crazy couple of weeks. It's crazy that as the world was coming to an end, our record was Wu-Tang Clan. And then kind of like to decompress, we got Pretzel Logic by Steely Dan, you know? And I got an interview with a super fan. And I'm a super fan of that dude. Hopefully you guys watch the podcast. A lot of y'all watched the Tom Segura episode on our YouTube. So what I want everybody to do is to subscribe. As the influencers say, smash that subscribe button on the 500 podcast. Well, it's really the Josh Adam Myers YouTube page, but it's got all the 500 clips. I just posted the coup tune that I wrote with Avery Pearson and my buddy Sean with the video by Memes of Reality. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty offensive. It's pretty funny. We did it Bobby McFerrin style. You can find it on my Instagram at Josh Adam Myers or on the 500, AKA Josh Adam Myers' YouTube page. But if you didn't know, every Wednesday we publish the full episodes to the Patreon for all the 500 Club members. It's only $5 a month. We're working out a lower tier. But guys, please support the podcast. I know $60 is a lot, but if you can help the show out, it would be huge. We've got some great employees. We left Spotify in July. We are doing this solo deep. We're trying to figure out ways to make you guys feel compensated. I'm going to do an Ask Me Anything. We're going to talk to you guys and find out what records you fuck with, and I'm going to make fun of you for liking that record. Let's just have fun. 
on the Patreon. So you get the video on Patreon Wednesday. And if you can wait, you get it free on our YouTube. Guys, just watch it on YouTube. Watch it on the Patreon. Just watch. Subscribe. Help. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. All right. This is a band that I have heard about for many years. As you're going to hear, I confuse them a lot with a different band. All right. Released on February 20th of 1974 on ABC Records and produced by Jerry Katz. This is the third record by Steely Dan. Now, Donald Fagan was born in Passaic, New Jersey in 48, grew up in the suburbs, and Walter Becker was born in 1950 in Queens, New York, hopefully by a Greek restaurant, because that's all over, Queens. I love you, Queens. They both had early musical affinities, and after playing various instruments, Fagan found the piano and Becker chose guitar. Then in the mid-60s, they both attended Bard College just outside of New York City. Fagan first heard Becker practicing electric guitar at the Red Balloon Cafe on campus in 67, and they immediately bonded over their love of jazz, the beat culture, and had a shared, darkly cynical and misanthropic outlook and sense of humor. They started playing in mostly cover bands at local clubs with a few different musicians. The pair ended up moving to Brooklyn in hopes of being a songwriting team for other artists while recording their own demos. They even wrote songs for an early Richard Pryor movie. And with thoughts of starting their own band, they answered an ad in the Village Voice newspaper posted by local guitarist Denny Diaz that said, Looking for keyboardists and bassists, must have jazz chops, assholes need not apply. Dude, big ups to Denny because that's, you know, that, that cuts out the, the katuki. Eventually, their talent was recognized by Gary Katz, a new staff producer at ABC Records. He hired Becker and Fagan to be staff songwriters, and they followed him out to L.A. Diaz relocated, and in L.A., they got session guitarist Jeff Skunk and Boston-area drummer and vocalist Jim Hodder to relocate and join this new band. With Gary Katz producing and studio wizard Roger Nichols engineering, the now six-piece band's first album was a critical and commercial success. Their second record did okay, but didn't produce any hit radio singles at the time, so they wanted to try constructing more diverse, shorter, and poppier sounding material. They hired veteran studio and live drummer Jim Gordon, who played, you might know, on George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, as well as session bassist Chuck Rainey, and their instincts paid off. Their third record was a huge success, charting at number eight, and was at the top of many of the year-end critics' polls, including NME's Album of the Year, and the first single, which I fucking dig, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, was, and still, is their highest charting song. After four more successful albums and lots of radio hits, they succumbed to pressure and personal issues, including Becker's addiction to narcotics, the 1980 overdose death of his girlfriend, who was also their manager, and the resulting wrongful death lawsuit against him. In 1981, Steely Dan effectively broke up. But some years later, though, while playing on another artist's album together, they rekindled their friendship, and that led to a Steely Dan tour to promote their box set, and then an official reformation for two more Staley Dan albums and tours. And in 2000, they won three Grammys, including Album of the Year. And in 2001, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Tragically, in 2007, Walter Becker died of esophageal cancer. However, Donald Fagan decided to honor their songs and legacy by continuing Steely Dan as a sole original member, which is dope because when this world opens back up, I am 100% gonna go see steely dan live if you want to read the full breakdown go to the 500 podcast.com you see everything that morty coyle wrote guys go 
DJ Morty Coyle. Give him a little pat on the back because that dude's fucking killing it. And what's great about this podcast, what I love the most is when I get to sit down with a diehard fan. And what's crazy is that he's a diehard fan of Steely Dan, and I am a diehard fan of this dude's work. Not only was he Chunk in the movie Goonies, but this dude is my entertainment lawyer, and I fucking love him. The one and only Jeff Cohen. Guys, he played Chunk in The Goonies. Chunk. Truffle Shuffle. Hand in the Blender. Talking about his bar mitzvah. Sloth. Come on, y'all. Dude, this dude is a very good friend of mine, and this was such a pleasure. This is why I love doing the podcast. You get to sit down with some good friends and talk about something they love. And let me tell you guys, his love of Steely Dan rubbed off on me. And if you guys need a good lawyer for entertainment, Jeff co-founded his law firm, Cohen and Gardner. It's in Beverly Hills. They only take 5%, which is good, which is good. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. And if you're listening on Apple, guys, leave us a five-star rating and leave a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Find all my tour dates, which this weekend I will be at the Nashville Zanies with Big J Okerson eating hot fried chicken, watching clips, and eating gummy gummies. Find all of that on my website, joshadamyers.com. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan at 500 Podcasts with Jam. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, there's nothing left to say, but I said, here we go with 386 with Pressure Logic by Steely Dan. What's up, Fleece Army? This episode is brought to you by the Kratom Experts at Super Speciosa. If you haven't heard of Kratom, it is an herbal supplement much like CBD. Instead of coming from the hemp plant, Kratom is from a plant related to the coffee tree. And Kratom is a natural energy booster without the jittery feeling you get from coffee or energy drinks. And it's also helpful in recovering after a long day or a tough workout. I have been taking it regularly in the morning and at night for the last two and a half years. And let me tell you guys, the stress has just melted away. My anxiety has gone. I can focus. While other Kratom brands out there are putting a bunch of junk in their stuff, Super Speciosa contains only one ingredient, and that is Kratom leaves crushed up into powder. Boom. Simple. Done. Every single batch is put through a natural cleaning process to eliminate germs and to protect you, the consumer. The Kratom is then tested, sifted, blended, and screened for potency and carefully packaged in a lab-grade facility. If you are buying Kratom from your local store, that is a big mistake. You will save yourself a ton of money and get better Kratom by shopping with Super Speciosa. Plus, they're offering our listeners in the Fleece Army 20% off the first order. So go to... GetSuperleaf.com slash 500. Once again, GetSuperleaf.com slash 500 and get 20% off your next order. We're going to post the link in our show notes so it's easy for you guys just to click and take advantage of this offer. We thank Super Speciosa for sponsoring this podcast. It helps me. It can help you too. Try it out. i never seen you looking so bad, my funky one. I colored my beard, so I look eight minutes younger. Wow. My beard was fully gray, bro. Fully gray. Really? This is what happens. Yeah, my, I, my beard's been gray fully since 2012. 
and it got, it didn't even, it's not, it got worse. It just has been gray. And then I don't know. I just, I'm staying with my mom right now. So I'm in, I'm in Maryland in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, I have her car, thank God, which I've been putting miles on, dude. I haven't really? I've been, I've been, I can't tell her. I've been in New York four times. Wow. Which, which I only tell her I'm going to, to Philly. So it's like a whole thing. But this car, dude, my mom's got a 2000 and no, not 2000. Talking, yeah, 2002 Honda Accord with, with 80, 82,000 miles on it. Now, since I've been here, it's at 85. So I put 3,000 miles on it. Jesus. Dude, but there's no shows. Like, I, there's no shows in LA. So I came home for Thanksgiving and I was like, all right, I'll stay here because I could go hang out with Big J. I've been, I've been really just chilling with Big J Okerson. Oh, great. Who's the He's the best. And yeah. so I, I've just been going to hang out with him. I did. There's some shows in Philly. There's been some shows in, in weird parts of Maryland. You know, we're not as, it's not as bad here as it is in California. Like California is like, that's yeah, a mess. It's, it's a mess. mess. Here for sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's so bad that my producer, Jeremiah, who's up in the window, he, uh, he moved to Hawaii. Really? Yeah. He moved. He's in Hawaii. He's, he lives on La'oia. You're making that up. That's not actually. Of course I am. But, it, but, it, but it sounded real. It sounded Waka real. Waka is not an island in Hawaii. He lives so off of Ula, Ula, ya, Ula, ya, Ula. Uh, terrace you're like all right sounds like, star, sounds like a star wars character language or something like exactly yeah dude it's baba baba it's like you know it's remember remember in star wars when when han, not han solo fucking luke skywalker walks up to that dude in return of the jedi the dude with the long like lizard head and he goes hey no, his name is bib fortuna his name is bib fortuna by the way yes. you know, do you know yes, i do recall that josh Myers. i'm quite familiar with return of the jedi Wait, wait, wait. I was, what, what does he say when he asks him a question? He goes, a Jabba. Uh, Nobada. A Jabba, no, a Jabba Nobada. Yeah, yeah dude. But, but, but the greeting for hello before that is he says, Iwanawanga. <laughs> Iwanawanga. Iwanawanga. All right. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this because you were the first person that I ever met that was a diehard Steely Dan fan. I remember talking with you at like JFL. We were talking about music or something. Oh, yeah. And you were like, what do you think about the Dan? And I was like, the Dan Dan? And you were like, no, 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 no. Steely Dan. And I was like, oh, dude. I was like, this is a super fan right here. It's a litmus test. Do you pass the test? And you kind of pass the test because you, were, you weren't knowledgeable about it, but you were interested. You were, you were Dan curious. You know, you wanted to know a little bit more about the Dan. And I was like, okay. Cool. Let's talk about it. But know? what's funny, Jeff, is that this is my first rodeo with the band. I mean, even after hearing you talk, I never like, dude, I just, they never came into my life and maybe like Dirty Work, some other songs or whatever, but it was never like, hey, let's listen to this album all the way through. So I want for you as a super fan, I'm so excited to hear how this evolved. Tell me about the first time you ever heard Steely Dan. Well, I mean, you know, the, you hear their bigger songs just on, you know, classic rock radio like Peg and Hey 19, et cetera, et cetera. It was, I want to say it was early 2000s, probably like 02 or 03. I had just started my law firm. Things were a little rugged. You know, it was, you know, it was very scrappy. And um, remember like in cable, they would have like those channels and it would be like the country channel or the rock music. And it would just be like, it was like music, but like for your house. And I was listening to the, I had the, um, uh, the, that channel, the, basically the classic rock channel on, and they played uh, 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 Dirty Work, the song Dirty Work, which is off their first album, Can't Buy a Thrill. And it was, it just like, 
I know, I'm sure I had a couple glasses of wine at this point, but it just kind of like, it just kind of washed over me. And it was just such a beautiful, weird, haunting thing. And I was like, who the fuck are these guys, man? I'm like, this is wild. Because the song Dirty Work is basically, it's about a guy who's having an affair with a married woman. And every time her husband's out of town, she like calls him and eventually, you know, normally, you know, you think the character would be like, oh, that's great. Awesome. But it hurts him. So eventually he evolves and he's like, I don't want to do your dirty work anymore. Oh, I love that. I had no idea. I thought it was about like, I thought it was about plumbers or some shit. <laughs> see, that's, see, uh, Josh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you, you, you have to really dig a little deeper with the band. You gotta. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I just grabbed the shovel though. I just <laughs> grabbed the shovel. All let's right? go in and let's go in. Let's dig into this. So when I heard that song, I was like, wow, that's really kind of haunting and beautiful. And then I bought that album, Can't Buy a Thrill. And uh, just, I had one road trip from LA to visit my buddy up in the Bay Area for New Year's and come back. And I listened to that album nonstop all the way up, all the way down in my 1991 Mazda Miata <laughs> beat up. Um, and uh, yeah, man. And it just kind of washed over me, you know? So basically, like for me, it was Dirty Work was the song. By the way, it's one of my favorite Steely Dan shirts here. Got uh, Donald Fagan, yeah, dude. Walter Becker, handsome fellas, beautiful. I'm, I'm wearing my Steely Dan underwear as well, but I'm not going to, it doesn't seem like it's appropriate for the audience. Um, but, <laughs> but, but basically like, you know, what, what I found when I got into that one album and then I started to get into all of their albums and just kind of really get deep into Steely Dan um, was I found them to be philosophers. I found them to be philosophers. Um, I know this sounds weird, but if, if you notice, they're not the most, they're not the best looking guys. <laughs> God bless them. They look like guys that they look like guys that that were insurrectionists at the Capitol building. That's what they, especially especially Walter, dude. He looks like I think. Yeah, he's got. He's, it's it's you know what in a different in a different outfit. Yeah, you could you know if he didn't have the chops on the rhythm guitar, perhaps yes. But but basically, I kind of got into them as. Uh, you know, almost as a philosophy in the sense of, you know, it's basically their songs over kind of as a whole, their worldview is a very romantic and it's, it's all about the underdog. It's all about the ugly guy. It's all about the guy who loses, you know, Deacon Blues, right? We got an, you know, they got a name for winners in the world. I want a name when I lose. They call Alabama the Crimson Tide, call me Deacon Blue. So it's basically this kind of romantic, intellectual, kind of melancholy way of looking at the world in a longing way and kind of that experience with the world. And I just started to really, it really, it helped me actually. It helped me a lot actually. So, so you, you talk about this band being so special and you suddenly become this super fan. Would you call yourself a super fan? Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously the number one Dan fan in the United States. I mean, I think that's fairly... I love that so much about him. So how many, you've seen them live. Yeah, I've seen because because Dan did not tour for a long time, yeah, right? Take, me, take me through the story because I have some notes too, but I feel like you can actually explain this to the audience better. Walter Becker uh, and Donald Fagan. Uh, Donald Fagan plays keyboards, uh, Walter Becker um, a guitar. They met uh, at Bard College, um, started this crazy band. Fun fact I'm going to test your Dan knowledge, Mr. Josh Adam Meyer. I think I know this already. Smarty. Okay. Uh, what famous comedy figure played in the band, in the initial band, uh, with Donald Fagan and Walter Becker? Chevy Chase. Oh, no! 
Yikes. I, dude, yeah. it's in my notes. I didn't. I wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for Morty. Big ups to Morty. Oh, Morty, saving the day always. You could have bullshitted me, Josh. I, yes, Chevy Chase. So they start with Chevy Chase. That doesn't work out. Chevy apparently wants to do some, you know, some uh, comedy stuff, and you know that worked out. Um, and then you know, uh, and then kind of you have their albums, right? So it starts off with "Can't Buy a Thrill," um, you know, uh, "Countdown to Ecstasy," uh, you know, "Katie Lied." Um, Asia, which is a huge, I'm, I'm getting them out of order. Asia, of course, which is many consider their masterpiece, you know, pretzel logic all the way to, uh, Steely Dan <laughs> winning out the Grammy album of the year in 2002 for two against nature. And they pissed everyone off. And I thought it was hilarious and God bless them. They pissed me off. They pissed <laughs> me off because they beat Radiohead, dude. And Eminem. I think they beat <laughs> And dude. dude, they beat, I was like, who the fuck is Steely Dan? I was like, is that, the, I thought, you know who I thought Steely Dan was at the time? I thought they were the band that went, you know, come on here for nothing but your chicks are free. That's Dire Straits. That's Dire Straits. Remember that? You don't remember that music video, dude? It's like the robots. It was like the, the it was like electronic. It was like a very early like computer generated. Dire Straits is great. Dire Straits is great. But uh, dude, Dan won uh, the album of the year for Two Against Nature in 02. Beat Eminem. Beat Radiohead. <laughs> it's one of the funniest. It's things. horrible. It's, listen, I'm not going to say it's horrible. It's not. It's just like fucking Radiohead is like at the time was at the height of their shit. But I get it now why that album was important for Steely Dan because they hadn't made a record in so long. Am I right? Yes. And I think it was really more of a lifetime achievement award, almost in the same way where like Whoopi Goldberg wins the Oscar for Ghost and not Color Purple. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's an award you win kind of to like recognize your body of work, but still hilarious. Still pretty hilarious to watch Eminem go, who the hell is Steely Dan? He was even more confused than you were, I think. I was so mad that night. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Um, cause we, you mentioned all the other records. You mentioned why you love them. Tell me about your thoughts on pretzel logic. Pretzel logic. Pretzel logic is okay. Pretzel logic is a beautiful, weird album. And it has my favorite Steely Dan song of all time. Now, sometimes like, I mean, don't tell us yet. Don't tell us yet. Okay. Cool. Don't die. Well, okay, not say what it is, but has my, I mean, there, you know, there's kind of like a top five in my mind and it's flipping around. I make Steely Dan. I have my, my playlist that has existed as long as I've had like electronic, you know, uh, you know, music is, is Dan for the man. So I have my own thing called Dan for the man where I have like, oh, this is, you know, this month, these are the Dan tunes that I'm going to get into. And maybe there's some defects and I kind of mix it up. But, but Pretzel Logic is a beautiful, diverse, 
um, unique, weird, uh, melancholy and romantic album. So it's like everything that Steely Dan is. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned this earlier about how this is my first, uh, adventure with Dire Straits. Uh, the whoa, radio- whoa, whoa, dude. Not Dire Straits. I'm trying to like think free without looking at my notes. I know, dude. If it wasn't a pandemic, Josh. I, I would fly over there. Dude, I'm living with a 74-year-old Jewish woman right now uh, who's mad. Well, she can't protect you from me, from my damn rage. How dare you call them Dire Straits? How dare you? How I'm, dare you? Dude, you met my mom, bro. You met my mom at JFL when I did, when I did New Faces. That's great. Your mom will hold you as I beat you up for trying to, for conflating. Anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. By the way, to the fleece army out there, I don't think you guys realize how much I love Jeff. Like not only is my, he's my lawyer, but he's also my friend and is the main reason I made it into Montreal, Canada in 2013 to do new faces because you hooked me up with your lawyer friend, Chris. I can't remember his name, but he works at a really big one in San Francisco. Well, I, I, the, the feeling is mutual. I love, and I'm in love. I both love and, in am in love with you and uh, and congrats on all your success and i can't wait till we're post the pandemic to see the jam again man oh it's over dude i'm never doing it again of course i'm doing it people you gotta do it man dude well i'm gonna sing i'm gonna definitely sing uh ricky don't lose that number because i fucking love that song so let me tell you so let me tell you something is that after really listening to this record i gotta say this is a special band i get why you love them the musicianship on this record is phenomenal and i i I don't know if they are the best but i in my lifetime i think they are the best at combining rock and jazz every song i had no idea where it was gonna go it was like you know what it was like jeff it was like a good movie plot with just twists and turns and and bridges and choruses that i was like wait oh it's here now oh now they're soloing it just kept it's like it's out there Without being out there, you know? Well, you know what's fun about Don Fagan, of course, is was famous for being crazy in the studio, but crazy in a good way. He would record, he would go through sessions, because basically it's Donald Fagan and Walter Becker, and then it's then it's rotating musicians that they, you know, and they would go through musician and musician and musician and singer and singer and singer. Which is which is badass, Jeff, because so for the people that don't know, all the listeners of the Fleece Army, all the Dougals, uh, this is their third record, but this is the first where Donald and Walter are the main songwriters. And they always were the songwriters, but then the main songwriters and all the musicians on the record are interchangeable. AKA they would audition people for whoever is best for the role. I love that. I love that they saw a vision. They didn't give a shit about band dynamic. They said, it's the two of us. Everybody else can be replaced. And 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 we're going to make the records we want to make. Well, you know, it's interesting. I know you're kind of more, I, I think some people are more focused on lyrics. Some people are more focused on, on music. I think the music is fantastic. I think you're absolutely right. Like if you want to see if your speaker system is good, if you want to see if your surround sound can pick up every weird nuance, like Dan is the band, you know, it's the way it's arranged is gorgeous. And Donald would go and go and record and record and record until Walter would, would kind of pull him in. Like Walter was the one guy who could talk to him and be like, Hey, hey Donald, we gotta, we gotta chill out here, buddy. Like we gotta like deliver this record. Um, but in addition to the music, the lyrics are because I'm very much focused on words. Like I think as a lawyer, like I'm in the I just deal with, with words, just deal, looking at words, you know, words, how do words impact, you know, situations, et cetera. And the lyrics are so weird and, you know, you know, challenging to, to penetrate. And you, you never you kind of almost never know what any of the songs about. You kind of have to just develop your own relationship to it. 
And uh, and what you said about how, you know, kind of on this album, you know, they were able to just go like they were like, hey, we're going to pick every we're going to pick the singer we want. We're going to pick the drummer we want for this song and the maraca player for this song and whatever. Like the thing that I love about Steely Dan is there's not one song on there that they sat down and were like, you know, how can we sell the most albums? <laughs> they weren't like, you know, what, what, what will appeal to the masses? You know, not that there's anything wrong. Like I love pop music. There's nothing wrong with it. But with Steely Dan, they're going on their own journey and you can come along with them on their journey. You know, and, and that's to me is an interesting place to be instead of trying to kind of cater, you know, trying to, to, you know, to be something for everyone. They're absolutely trying to do their own thing. Like Dire Straits would do. Dire Straits caters. Steely Dan gives him the finger and goes, get the fuck out of here with a Dan. Donald, get over here. I got a new thing. Don't fear COVID, Josh. Fear me, buddy, because I'm coming out there to kick your ass, dude. If you bring up Dire Straits one more time. Again, nothing wrong with Dire Straits. Nothing wrong with Dire Straits. They're a fine band. They're a fine band. But, dude, you got to, like, enough. Enough of the Dire Straits here, man. Why do I feel like you rep? I feel like you rep the Dire Straits right now. All right. He's got, he's got some deal in the works with him. All right. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm having too much fun. So let's dive into the record. So uh, if if most Fleece Army out there doesn't know the entire Steely Dan catalog, man, I bet the I bet you got pinched in the ass when you found out that they wrote this song. Ricky, don't lose that number. This is the first single. It was still and it's and is still their highest charting song at number four on the Billboard Hot 100. And you can see why. Uh, JT, play a taste for me, but. It really is their best song. You can see why this is a hit. It's a grabber and it rules. Do you agree that it rules? Uh, yes, I think it rules supreme, actually. Um, okay, so, so Ricky Don't Lose Our Number, it's the first track on the album. And you were saying kind of how diverse the sounds were, right? The first 28 seconds of Ricky Don't Lose That Number are basically, it's a, it's a Victor Fellman playing an instrument. I wrote this down because I couldn't pronounce it right. And I, I think it might actually just be an internet hoax. I don't know if this is actually what it's called. No, no, no. You, you got it, dude. You got it. But you guys are the musicians. It's a flap bomba. Flap, 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 flap bomba. Flap bomba, bomba. Yeah, this got to be. But, but it's, this, it's this weird like bop, bop, boop, 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 boop. And it's actually, I looked into it, it's what you would consider a tone poem. So it's a 30, it's a it's a 30 second tone poem, which basically means weird noises going boop, 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 boop. So you got 30 seconds of that. That's weird, but it kind of pulls you into it. You're like, hey, hey Don, hey Walter, what the hell's going on here? Let's let's get into this. Then you hear that dun 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 dun, which is uh, lifted, I'm sure with permission and and you know, with from a guy named Horace a Silver, it's a song called Song for My Father. So that's actually the hook on, on that beautiful jazz piano song. So they start with the tone poem, they go into this beautiful jazz hook, and then and that's and then you're in it. And then you're in it. And then the piano, the piano is incredible in it. I love the little accents in the chorus. Ricky, don't, I just, I love it so much. But also this is what, this is kind of dope, which is just the story of the song. The story of a college romance that didn't happen was based on when Fagan unsuccessfully attempted to seduce his married and pregnant bard schoolmate, Ricky, I'm going to say his last, last name wrong, Du Cornette. 
Yeah. And this is according to Ricky. I remember we had a great conversation and he did suggest I call him, which never happened. Years later, I walked into a record store and heard his voice and thought, that's Fagan and that's my name. Boom. I love that. I love that this guy, Ricky, is a real person. This is a real situation. And dude, this song Stop me in my tracks, Jeff. I was, I was actually, when I started listening to this is when I was, when I flew from LA to Maryland for Thanksgiving and I had the good headphones on in the airport with the dog. And I was like, oh, I should probably listen to the Steely Dan record. And I just, next thing I know, I'm singing it I, today. When I was walking the dog, I'm dancing to it. I fucking love this song. This song, if, if, if I, the rest of the album could suck, if, just if this song's on it, it still deserves to be on the 500 greatest albums list, in my opinion. You know, it's um, there's like there's like that that quote. You know, the saddest things of all the saddest things of tongue or pen, the saddest are these what might have been, and that's what Ricky is about. It's like what might have been. You know, you tell yourself you're not my kind, but you don't even know your mind, and you could have a change of heart. Ricky, don't lose that number. So the song is about like that girl that you met at the party or that relationship that, you know, never happened. And like, you know, in your heart, like, oh, this person's right for me. Like we're right for each other. That person doesn't feel that way. And you're just hopeful, like, well, maybe one day, you know, maybe one day they'll, they'll get it. Um, so to me, it's like, it's like that really kind of melancholy, romantic um, idea is really profound. It's a profoundly human Very thing. Very profound. Very to profound. To deal with it too. I mean, you know I. I can relate to it so much because there's so many times I've really liked a girl and they're like, please get away from me. You're annoying and you're, you have ADHD. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what's the worst you've ever been turned down? Uh, I mean, my God, there's this podcast isn't long enough to give me the hit. Give me the big one. The, the one that you're carrying around the baggage for. Uh, I mean, you know, jeez, oh, my, my God, I'm changing this story. This is too, way too dark, but I do have a great, I'm dodging. I'm ducking, I'm dodging, uh, I'm being a lawyer, I'm being sneaky, I'm gonna go over here, I'm gonna shimmy over here. I do have a great, uh, uh, Ricky, don't lose that number story. The, um, it's my favorite song. It's my favorite song from, from Seely Dan. And I, I mean, and I love, I love their songs. And I had seen them, uh, you know, they didn't tour for years and years and years. And then like back in the kind of the early to mid 2000s, they started up touring again. And that's when I started get, you know, to get into them and know them. So I would start to see them. Like, I think the first show I ever saw was like at the Gibson Amphitheater back at Universal City Walk, like back when that existed. But I had watched them for about five years at this point, And I always wanted them to play Ricky Don't Lose That Number because it's my favorite song. Never played it, even though it was. And it, that's a very steely. OK, look. Don Fagan goes up to this woman at the college party, is A, married to a professor, and is B, pregnant, still gives her his number. That's a, it's a very Donald Fagan, it's a very Steely Dan kind of weird thing to do. Uh, they tour for five years that I see them, and they never played uh, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, which is, again, they're, they're – but, again, they play the hits. I mean, they'll play like – they would always play Hey 19 and Deacon Blues, et cetera, but I always wanted them to play Ricky Don't Lose That Number, and they never did. Um, uh, I found out later – um, it's a very hard song to arrange, I guess, on stage. And Donald is so – their concerts sound beautiful. Like, I mean, the orchestration is amazing. And he always wanted to make sure that, you know, that everything was absolutely top-notch. And that was apparently a very hard song to put on, which is why they didn't play it for a while. So I'm at the Microsoft Theater, uh, you know, by Staples. Um, so what's that, about a 4,000, 3,000-seat venue? Yeah, I think so. I'm there with Hugh Moore. You know Hugh Moore. Love him. A comedian, writer, one of my best pals. Also a huge Dan fan. Um, and you know, we probably had about, you know, four vodka sodas each at this point. Um, 
we have like meandered up to the top row of the of the third tier of um, of uh, uh, Microsoft Theater because with Dan you don't need to be too close. You've seen these guys; they're great guys. You don't need to be that that close. You can be back and just let, let, let the music wash over you. You know, there's not a bad seat in the house. So me and Hugh go up to the top row, get our fifth vodka soda, a big thing of nachos, a big like box of nachos. And we're sitting in the last row. We just find a couple of open seats. We're just like, hey, man, we're just going to chill out here and watch it. And, I, and he knows how much I like Ricky Don't Lose That Number. And after one of the songs, Hugh Moore yells out, um, just like somebody would yell out, play Freebird, right? Instead of saying, play Freebird, he yells out, play Ricky, because we're a little wasted, right? Play Ricky. And then I hear, dun, 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 and I was absolutely flabbergasted. So I like froze. I kind of slam dunked the nachos as they fell out of my hand because I froze up. I was like, oh shit, they're doing it. And I like hold Hughes. I'm like, Hugh, they're doing it, man. They're playing Ricky. And he's like, oh shit, they're playing Ricky. And you know what, man? I know it's a weird coincidence, but at that moment, we thought that Hugh had the power to compel Donald Fagan to play Ricky Don't Lose That Number, which we still, I'm still kind of 50%. I don't know if that was the case or not, but dude, the music washed over me. I cried like a baby. The nachos were on the floor, and it was just, I just was clean. I was just cleansed by my tears, and Ricky Don't Lose That Number, and it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful moment. And then you walked out into the, into like the, red, like the LA Live area, and you're like, everybody, Hugh, Hugh's the reason you played Ricky Don't Lose That Number. And people are like, I'll kneel before Lord Hugh Moore, comedy genius and conductor of Donald. Uh, I love that. It was the weirdest coincidence, but it was like probably my favorite experience at a concert when Hugh yells out, play Ricky. Like it's like play Freebird and dun, 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 dun. Oh, you got chills. I would get chills if I guess I got chills. I got chills. I got chills at a Beck show, and it was kind of like that, where it was very small, and people were shouting. He even asked the audience, "What do you want me to play?" And people were just shouting out songs, and he started playing these rando songs. And it's like, it's like, but, but see, this is the thing, though, is like, this isn't a deep cut. This is their fucking number one song. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you play that, you play Ricky. Everything else, you fit in there, but you play Ricky. Don't lose that number. So I don't want to give the wrong impression. I don't give the wrong impression because even the first, like, like I've seen, okay. I've seen bands. Um, I, and I saw the black crows. Right. And I think that I love the black Crows, beautiful band, but I'm not that familiar with the black crows. So when I saw them, I think it was at the will turn, like they didn't play, they played none of the songs that I knew, like nothing, you know what I mean? And I was kind of like, eh, you know, so Dan doesn't do that. Like they'll always, they're all, they'll always bring the hits, but they have such a big body of work. Except the biggest. Except the biggest. <laughs> play all the hits, except the one song that is fucking, that most people know. They're good for, you know what? WFD. What would Fagan do, dude? If Fagan doesn't feel right, if he doesn't feel right, man, Walter can't reel him in. Walter can't let him do it. Walter's like, can't get him to do it. He's not going to do it. Isn't Fagan a character's name from Oliver Twist, too? I just went, okay, cool. I just and they're actually show. the same guy. Donald Fagan was actually Fagan from uh, from Oliver Twist. Can you check that research, Jeremiah? Because I don't know if that shit's true. All right, night. It was Ron Moody. Okay, it was Ron Moody played Fagan in Oliver Twist. I think he won Sporting Actor Oscar. Congrats to him, and congrats to you for being able to hear Ricky. Don't lose that number. I I would. I'm gonna go see them with you the next time this is all done, and we can go on tour. And if they don't play that, I am going to use my powers of charisma to get backstage to literally cuss out the Donald because uh, dude, don't dude, don't put, look, I, I've had like in my, in my mind, I'm like, 
like, what if I ever met Donald Fagan? What if, what if I met, what if he's really my dad? You know what I mean? That could, that could be the case. Like maybe, you know, it was the seventies and shit, you know, it's, uh, he was torn the Valley one, something, you know, my mom. anyways, um, I don't think I could actually ever meet Donald Fagan. I couldn't do it. I just freeze up. I don't want to like invade his space. Like he's an artist. I want to like, just like give him space and do his thing and stuff. Or, or he's my dad and we're going to be best friends forever. And, you know, we'll kind of like, I'll be the road manager and just hang out and stuff and, you know, hang out by the craft service and he'll come over and eat like some food and stuff. What will Bradley do if you're now the tour manager? Bradley's taking over the, the law firm is because I got to deal with Bradley now. Is that what you're saying? Dude, it's uh, I'm just saying if Don's my dad, you know, I got responsibilities there, too. For, all right. Fair enough. If if he is your father. 50 percent. Yeah. Leave. You got you have to. Yeah. OK. All right. You know, who knows? Who knows? You know, your dad is just some Jewish guy just like mine that's given us a whole bunch of like, you know, disorders that that a, that a psychiatrist brings out of us years later. Well, that well, that's the thing. That's the thing. We, we have our like neuroses. But like what's great is when you really get into Sealy Dan and you listen to their shit, they're like, wow, now these guys are crazy, man. Like they like I'm kind of kind of a normal guy, man. Like, you know. All right, let's move on to Night by Night, second song on the record. Uh, this is a song about perseverance. And uh, we mentioned about the replacing of uh, musicians on the record. It was longtime Steely Dan drummer Jeff Percaro's debut with the band and the only song on which he replaced veteran Jim Gordon on drums. They needed someone to nail this funky this is what I I think this is 100% app funky cop show black exploitation film rhythm vibe uh, and they captured dude uh, JT play it. I get, I get, this is this this song slaps so hard because I love the soundtrack to Shaft, and this could have been in Shaft. It's it's very, it's very shafty, very. Shafty. It, 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 it is shafty, and and it's funny. Like when you hear kind of their you know their hooks and the rhythms, etc. Like you, you don't realize how many times Steely Dan have been sampled. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like from rap to like everything, like just their. It's it's crazy if you if you get into it. You know? Oh, there's a vibe. There's a there's a bop. There's a vibe to this. There's a vibe to this band. And this is interesting. This was an attempt to appease the record company with a single after the disappointment of the previous album, but they chose the previous song. Um, I I, I love this song, and at this point through the record, I, I'm just really really enjoying it so far. And then. Do you, before I get into the next thing, do you have anything else to add to? Well, just one, one quick thing, like with Night by Night. With Dan, some of the songs are kind of about their personal experience, like Ricky Don't Lose That Number, but they also paint portraits of other people. They love telling stories. You know, there's a lot of their songs have a narrative element, and this is one of those songs. So, Oh, for sure. Um, but me, right before you signed on to the call, uh, me and JT, the producer, uh, were talking about how great any major dude will tell you is. This one, all I wrote was, this one rules. I never seen you looking so bad, my funky one. You tell me that your super fine mind has come undone. Any major dude with half a heart surely will tell you, my friend. Any minor world that breaks apart falls together again. When the demon is at your door, 
Maybe Dante isn't my father, okay? Maybe he's not, but I, it's, I, that's any major dude. Okay, here's something about any major dude. And, you know, from, from the piece, you can, you know, decipher something about the whole, you know? Here's a small thing in any major dude, which in my opinion tells you everything about Steely Dan. One of the lines in that uh, song is, have you ever seen a squonk's tears? Well, look at mine. People on the street have all seen better times. Any major dude, etc." And so I'm like, squonk what the f do you say squonk you know like like the fact that don fagan would and walter becker would put squonk in a song so i look it up you know because you look at the lyrics and you, you know what a squonk is it's a me can i guess yes is it a creature in american folklore that when hunted would cry itself into a pool of tears when cornered i'm just guessing okay yes you're you're amazing but the question is why would it cry a squonk is a creature that is so ugly. It's so ugly that when it looks, it, it looks in the river and it sees its reflection and it's so sad, it starts crying. And it's so ugly and it's so upset with how ugly it is, it can never stop crying. So for the rest of its life, a squonk is in tears. So when you look at that line, have you ever seen a squonk's tears? Well, look at mine. People on the street have all seen better times. So it's, it's basically like, haven't you ever felt like a squonk? Like, haven't you ever felt so like, sad that you can't actually wrap your mind around who you are and what your life is. And that's, to me, I find that to be unbelievable that he put the word squonk in a song. <laughs> and it's, and, and to me, it's like Steely Dan, like if you'd have, they have many different, you know, perspectives, but it's the perspective of, of a squonk. It's the perspective of someone who is like, kind of looks in the mirror and can't believe that that's them. And they're trying to kind of chart everything out, figure everything out. Um, and I find that to just be exquisite. It is exquisite, but I'm going to say this here on this podcast. Squonks, you are beautiful creatures because the inside is all that matters. Squonks, I'm looking at you, the squonk fan base of ours. That's really nice. That broke thought. my heart, dude. That shit broke my heart. It, it's, it's, it's amazing, right? It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Do you want to know why dude is in the title? I, I don't know. Tell me why. So uh, Fagan said when we moved out to L.A. and people called each other dude, which we found funny, we were trying to speak their language. Um, so I want to ask you before I get into the second part of this question, is there any like slang words from your youth that, that you still use to seem cool but are outdated? Like, is there what's the word you got to cut from your vocabulary that you used in your youth? I say word a lot. Are you not supposed to say word anymore? Like a word in a contract signing? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no. I mean, not not like a high stakes negotiation. I'm not gonna be like word. I, I, I speak to my client. My client has said word. No, I can't. I mean, but just word. Twenty five percent on the back end. Word, 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 okay. or word up. You can also say word up is okay. Word or word up. Okay, word, word up, word. Do the kids still say that? Do the kids say, is word up okay? Is that kind of? I don't know if they are. See, I'm just so worried, Jeff. As a 41 year old man, I think we're roughly around the same age. Is like, is like, I don't want to be that old hippie that's like, man, this grass is groovy. You dig? Like, I don't want to do that. He's like, dude, you're 78. You're 78. I'm so worried I'm going to be like. We got we to gotta look at the TikTok. We got to watch the TikTok and see how the kids are TikToking. And then you learn the TikTok and you TikTok. Just say TikTok. If you're ever with and you want to be relevant, just be like, you know what? TikTok. And then they go, oh, he, this guy knows what's up. He's a TikToker, just like me. Word up. Hey, TikToker. You're good. <laughs> Dude, TikTok was uh, was predicted by the Mayans and given to us by the aliens. <laughs> um, so I wanted, I wanted to ask you. 
So, so you grew up in LA. By the way, what high school did you go to? Taft High, Woodland Hills. Go Toreadors! Woo! And what hospital were you born in? Uh, Tarzana. Okay, cool. My Morty went. Morty wanted me to ask you because Morty Morty gets a boner over this shit when he finds LA. Dude, my, hey, hey, you tell Morty my 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 Valley bona fides are solid, dude. I was born in Tarzana. Went to Taft High. Boom. What's up? So, but so, but so you're living in LA where of course it's geographically easier to pursue a career in, in, in the industry. How did you first get into acting and book your first major role? Well, you know, it's funny. I think, I mean, like, as you know, in LA, everyone's second business <laughs> is show business, you know, no matter, no matter what their day job is, you know, um, I was just this little kind of, you know, funky chubby kid. And I, it sounds funny, but in, in the, like in LA, we had uh, channel five KTLA and they had this thing on the weekend, which is called the family film festival. And it was like a three hour block of movies on Saturday. Um, and it was hosted by this guy named Tom Hatton. And first there would be cartoons, like old cartoons, like Popeye, black and white Pop- Popeye cartoons. And then they would have shorts and they had the little rascal shorts and they had three stooges shorts. And then they would have like a feature, like, like they'd have like a Jerry Lewis movie. It was very much, so, so as a kid, I would, I would love the family film festival and I was obsessed with the little rascals. I wanted to be the little rascals, which for those of you at home who don't know, it was this, uh, kind of during the depression, it was these amazing, uh, group of kids, um, you know, who did short films and got on all these adventures. And there was, I was a little fat kid and one of the little fat kids was Spanky. Yeah. And Spanky was the leader. He was funny. He was the boss and he was like a little fat kid. And I was like, I want to be spanky. I'm like, that's what I want to do, man. Like when I grow up, I want to be spanky. Um, so I was just kind of, you know, my mom, you know, kind of, you know, uh, uh, helped me get an agent. And I just started going out on commercials. And I was like this funny little kid and started doing, you know, all the 80s sitcoms, like from Facts of Life and Family Ties and, uh, you know, um, uh, Kids Incorporated. I actually had this You did Kids Incorporated? Yeah. It was as a kid, as a kid, when I was on a television show, I would be very excited because, like, oh, I'm going to be on Facts of Life and I'm going to watch it. Kids Incorporated, I was so excited. Oh, my episode's going to be on Sunday. I'm going to watch it. I watched it. It was so embarrassing. I actually turned it off as a kid because, because I had to do a dance number. I had to sing and dance to Prince's Baby, I'm a Star. And watching my little fat butt hustle around the stage trying to like, you know, dance and sing Baby, I'm a Star. I didn't cover Prince very well, Josh. Long story short. So that was, I don't know. think so. I do, your favorite band is Steely Dan. You're, you might as well shit Frasier DVDs. You're so white. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, think, I think kind of having to cover Baby, I'm a Star unsuccessfully, you know, and you, you wonder why, you know, kid actors have drug problems as they grow up. It starts with shit like that and it just kind of evolves, you know, thereafter. But, but you know, I did all the TV stuff and then um, I uh, interviewed for this, uh, for this, oh, oh my God, oh my God, is that, you actually have the footage? Let's see it. Webster Benedetti is the name spreading laughter is my game. Ow! I got a million, a million of them. Can you stand it? Frankly, no. Ah, you'll get used to me in no time. You'll see. What do you oh, mean no. get used to me? That's such a little terrible thing. That kid died of a heroin overdose. That She's Maybe on channel. <laughs> but for Steely Dan, but for Steely Dan, that little fat kid would be a goner for sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> Donald Fagan will never be my friend now. Thanks, Josh. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. So that, and then uh, I auditioned for a film called Goonies. Um, oh, I and, might have heard uh, of that. 
But it's, it's a little small film, you know. Uh, it became then I became a cultural icon, and the rest is history. As you are. <laughs> we actually have a lot more Goonie stuff. We have a lot more Goonie stuff um, because I don't think you realize, dude. Like me and my buddies, uh, we so when we watch sports, especially DC sports teams, and when one of our team like fucks up, like blows a lead, fumbles, intercepts, whatever it is, anytime they lose, we call it. Oh, they chunked. Wow. It's, it's, I, it's, would, I would drop stuff. My character would drop stuff. Ex- duh. That's why, bro. Because you would like, that was your whole well, thing. I'm honored. I'm honored that I've made the uh, lexicon, that I've made the sports lexicon. You know? I mean, I mean, and I, and I got to ask before we get into more, but did you know that like that the Goonies was going to be, you, like you said, a cultural icon? Did you have any idea? Any idea? Well, it was exciting because it was Richard Donner was the director. And of course, you know, Dick is still a great friend and he directed Superman and he directed the Omen and all the lethal weapons and produced all the X-Men films, um, you know, and, and again, Superman one is enough, <laughs> you know, like he did Superman and he, and he did basically Superman two is his as well. So you have Donner and then you have Steven Spielberg, you know, who, uh, you know, who wrote it and was producing it, was on set a great deal. Actually, Steven actually directed a lot of the second unit, a fair amount of the second unit just for fun. He would just come in because we shot at Warner Brothers. He was over at Universal. He would come where they were also doing Back to the Future at Universal. So we'd hang out at Back to the Future, come over to Goonies, and then for fun, he would direct second unit. And a lot of my stuff was second unit because it was me and Sloth, and we were the second unit, and the main unit was Dick and the Kids. Um, so I got to be directed by Dick Donner. I got to be directed by Steven Spielberg, and it was it was great. Um, it's I find it to be I can't actually, it's amazing to me that people still dig it. And it's really cool because like people who enjoy the movie as a kid will watch it with their kids. Um, and it's like, there's merch and slot machines and, you know, dolls and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's, it's nice, you know, it's nice that, that it still impacts people and, and people get a kick out of it. I think that's really nice. You know, I just rewatched it and it, it's just so phenomenal, but you know what else is phenomenal? Barrytown. No argument here, Josh Myers. I know that's, I knew, I knew you'd be more excited to talk about Steely Dan than, than you. I love it. I love be asking you questions right now. This is so much fun. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, 
and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. So this was one of the oldest songs on here as it was written and, de- and demoed back right after Becker and Fagan left. Oh, our- hey Josh, I don't interrupt, but I just thought of something. What? So, dude, I'm the biggest Don Fagan, Steely Dan fan, but like I'm afraid to hang out with Donald because maybe he's my dad and we'll become best friends and it'll get weird. You know? So I don't want to I want to give him space. What if Donald Fagan is the biggest Goonies fan ever and he's watching Goonies and like, man, Chunk. I love Chunk, but I want to like an autograph or something, but he's he's afraid to reach out to me because he's a fan of my work. And uh, and maybe I got to get over that fear and he has to get over his fear and we have to become best friends. I, I couldn't agree with you more. He's going to try to get a restraining order on me after this podcast. <laughs> I, listen, dude, uh, you are probably right. You are probably <laughs> right about the restraining order. Maybe about the restraining order. <laughs> I, listen, dude, you made – you were in something that transcends – cinema it is a it is something that inspires kids to to ask questions and inspired us to go on adventures and to live our lives you know and 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 i bet you i don't know if he has kids but i bet you they've seen it i bet i would bet money that that him and walter before walter died they have both watched goonies and been like dude i love that fat kid oh my god the bar mitzvah joke with the blender thing dude of course bro of course I would just, I would pass out. I would, if that were the case, I would Jeremiah, pass Jeremiah, call, try to see if you can find Don, Don's, uh, yeah, see if you can find his, his, his email or something on IMDb Pro, and then let's see if we can go for this. All right, so this is an early song of theirs that they wrote back at Bard College in Annandale, New York, which happens to be right near Barrytown. The meaning of the song is this appears to be a conservative and prejudiced narrator from the nearby area dismissing the more liberal and possibly hippie types from Barrytown. So my thoughts is this is a great song, but the melody sounds to me a lot like Tell Me What You See by the Beatles. So I want to do a little compare and contrast for you, uh, Jeff. Okay, so play 16 seconds of Barrytown. I'm not one to look behind. I know that times must change. But over there in Barrytown, they do things very strange. All right, now play the opening of Tell Me What You See by the Beatles off of Help. If you let me take your heart, I will prove to you We will never be apart if I'm part of you Open up your eyes now Tell me what you see. I find it terrible it that the Beatles no would steal off of the band like that. Jesus Christ. Like, and they have enough hits? They had enough, man. Those guys, Hazer. The word is Hazer, the Yiddish word for the pig, the Hazer. Like, look, Beatles, do your own thing. Let Steely Dan do their thing, man. Like, I don't. And the fact that Donald didn't go after those guys. It's a testament to him. Very nice, you know man. I mean? Very nice, man. First of all, I'm not. We're not going to skate over the fact that you just said chaz, which my sister has been saying that to me when I eat too much food. She's like, "You're such a chazer. You're always farcing it down." She always say farce and chaz, dude. Fleece army out there, use your chazer if they eat too much. Somebody does smokes too much weed out of your joint, whatever it is, chaz, 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 chaz. Great song. This is a great song. Both of them are. Now, uh, I read that during college, 
you didn't shy away from your previous fame. So how did other students treat you and how was it when you were younger? So it's funny. So I went to Berkeley for undergrad, you know, and I was really excited, um, you know, because I love the Bay Area and I was so excited to get away from, you know, show business. And I was going to open up us ah, new man. It's Berkeley. And I'm gonna, I, I had a ponytail. I'm bald as hell now, but I had a, I had a ponytail back then. I would have loved to have seen that. It was a terrible one, man. I could not pull it off. It was, it was just, <laughs> I mean, me and Jeremiah are not doing it either. I, I, I need a haircut so bad right now. My COVID cut. It's yeah. The ponytail is challenging uh, under any circumstances, but I was very excited. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go do different stuff. So I got really involved in student government and I became a student Senator and then student body president. I played rugby. Um, I, you know, I studied business. Um, I, you know, did plays. I, you know, did all kinds of crazy stuff and very much, you know, tried to, you know, kind of evolve. Um, although being chunk is helpful when you're running for political office. Chunk for president was the ideal. Well, it was actually funny um, when the because look in, in California, you know, failed actors do really well in politics. So it's like a, you just gotta like you're like. Couldn't cut it in acting. Hey, run for governor, you know, be, be the mayor or something. So, so basically I kind of felt bad for the other kids who were running for office because on Sproul Plaza, the main plaza, people would have their pamphlets that they would print out that had all of their, you know, political ideology. And if you elect me, this is what we're going to do. And this is my worldview. But people don't want to read a whole pamphlet. So you'd be passing out the pamphlet. They take the pamphlet, chuck the pamphlet. So I said, you know what? People don't like pamphlets, but you know what people like? Lollipops. People like lollipops. Like, who doesn't like a lollipop? So instead of a, like a beautiful, intricate, uh, you know, political pamphlet, I took lollipops and I put a sticker that said "Chunk for President." And I was like, "Chunk for President, have a lollipop. Chunk for President, have a lollipop." Uh, landslide, landslide. Josh Adam Myers. If I can get enough lollipops together, I'm going to be the governor of California, dude. If I can get the lollipops enough and distribute the lollipops, it's happening. But um, I was I was also this thing called a mic man which is a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader for Berkeley, but they called us a mic man because at the football games in front of the entire student section uh, and also the basketball games, you had a microphone and you would do cheers, um, you know? And so it's like a big, you know, thousands of kids in the student you know, section. You have like your, you had uh, like a, like khakis and like a cow hat and a, and a blue and gold tie. There's like a special uniform and the cheerleaders are right next to you. So I was so excited and I was so nervous um, and the first game, you know, it's my junior year, the first game, I like get up there, I like learn all my cheers, go bears, go bears, learn all the songs, Sons of California, rah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> it's all these like drunk frat guys, everybody's freaking out. I get up there and I go, hey, everybody, let's get a go bears. Nothing, just nothing. Like they're just like, man, this guy, I'm like, uh, hey, hey everybody, uh, let's get a go bears. And there's nothing except the drunkest frat guy in the very last row yells out at the top of his lungs, truffle shuffle, man. Yeah, dude. I would, that would be me. I would have done that. And I was like, Oh Jesus, truffle shuffle. And then I'm like, uh, come on everybody. Let's get this. And by this point it's, it starts to catch on. So then the 10 drunkest guys are going truffle shuffle. Shuffle, shuffle. And literally it goes to the entire student section and the full marching band, the University of California Golden Bears marching band, the drum guys start pounding their drums. Truffle, shuffle, truffle. And I realized if I, I had never done the truffle shuffle post Goonies because like I'm never going to shake my belly, you know, like hell no, that's nuts. I would yeah. never, ever do it. 
And at that moment, I had to make a choice. <laughs> I was like, either I do the truffle shuffle, or I think these guys are actually going to kill me. I think some they're going to kind of like, this is like a mob. It's kind of a mob here. So I raised my arms in front of the in front of the audience, like Moses getting ready to part the Red Sea. Everyone quieted down. I lifted my shirt. I did the truffle shuffle. Everybody went bananas. Everyone lost their mind. Uh, and then they did the cheers. Then they would actually do my Go Bears after that. And true story, every home game thereafter that season in the fourth quarter, win or lose, they would start chanting truffle shuffle and I would have to do it. Oh, I love that. I and mean, this brings us back to former child actors having drug problems, which we can get into later. <laughs> uh, but how did the kids, how did kids respond to you when you were a kid and you're coming off of Goonies? Like, you know, back in elementary school, like, what's that like? Well, you know, what's funny for, for me because I went to Parkman, which is, you know, public school in Woodland Hills uh, for junior high. And then I went to Taft. And um, for me, that was a, that was for me, that was a fundamental experience. It was so important because it was public school. We had kids from all over the place. And, you know, and it was like it was just it was like, oh, this is this is real. Like this is life. You know, this is what this is. This isn't like show business. Not that show business isn't real. But it was very important for me, like I was on the football team and, you know, I was also involved in student government. So it was important for me to like have like a real experience. And, you know, first it's like a weird thing because you're an actor. But then when you have an activity with someone, when you're on the football team together, you you become friends and your teammates. And kind of that experience for me was absolutely grounding and let me know that, hey, there's a whole world outside of show business. Like show business, I think, is such a drug. You know, once it's in your veins, it's hard for it not to kind of take over your life. So it was very important for me to have some perspective, have some friends who were not in the business. And that was very important. Yeah, you know? That's great. That's great. Yeah. Cause you, like you keep saying, dude, you, it could have gone sideways. It could have gone a bit weed, way different conversation we're having, you know, like than a lot of child actors that you probably know, you know, I, I recommend to, to you and to your viewers, um, to your listeners, there's a marvelous book by Justine Bateman. Justine Bateman wrote a book a couple of years ago called fame. And it's just her experience about what it's like to be famous, what it's like to not be famous, how weird it is, how it impacts you. And one of her thesis is that, you know, if you're famous, you're screwed because it just kind of like short circuits you. But if you become famous as a kid, you're doubly screwed because you're kind of it kind of short circuits your input before you're developed, before you're developed as a human being. So it's definitely a weird, a weird thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, kind of going, you know, and, and Steely Dan and that Steely Dan is the reason I'm here today. Josh, Josh I love that. All right. Closing out the side a of this record is the next song East St. Louis toodaloo, which is a cover of Duke Ellington and Bubber Miley song and features Becker playing guitar through a talk box to emulate a muted trumpet and Jeff skunk bass. Baxter playing a steel guitar that imitates a muted trombone. Um, I, I really like this. I love, I love when you get to look at the, like at the wiki and you see what was side A and what was side B because the second I heard it, I was like, Oh, this has to be, it's so different from anything on the record. It's gotta be what they closed uh, the, the first side of the album out with. it's a pop album and they're like hey let's cover a duke ellington song yeah, it's weird it's but that's you know, what, like 
they do what they want to do. That's I love that you just said do what they want to do because, and I'm, this is going to be such a cheese ball thing that Morty wrote, but I got to say it. Uh, who was most instrumental in you saying toodaloo to acting? You know, uh, I would say it was it was Richard Donner, uh, Dick Donner uh, again, who directed me in Goonies and was I mean, it's just a remarkable. I mean, his body of work is remarkable. Superman, The Omen you know, Scrooge, uh, you know, all the lethal weapons, um, you know, producing, you know, uh, you know, basically, you know, you know, all the X-Men films um, and his body of work is, is quite remarkable. Um, I mean, to be a director who can do action movies, a great kids movie, you know, you know, basically create the modern superhero genre with Superman. Um, and as I was in high school, um, you know, I started to look different because I wasn't like, I wasn't this kind of this chubby kid anymore and you get acne and you look kind of weird. And Dick Donner, this, this changed my life. I mean, this is a game changer for me. <clears throat> Dick Donner um, was always very kind to me, you know, and my father was kind of, you know, not around and, and he never had any kids. Um, so we just kind of, you know, you know, had, we kind of clicked and it was special to me as a very special relationship. And so he let me work for him as a production assistant uh, over the summers when I was at Taft High School in Woodland Hills. So, and Dick is this big, handsome guy and he's got this big booming voice and he's like, I was hanging out with him once, you know, and he was like, hey, kid, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to be an actor, Dick. He's like, no, nah, that's stupid, kid. You don't want to be an actor. He's like, he's like, come with me. Come with me. And basically, um, every summer thereafter, so throughout high school and then in college, he would get me a job at a different place in Warner Brothers. So he got me, a, which is his offices were Warner Brothers. So I got a job in the marketing department one summer. I got a job in the, the legal department one summer because he wanted me to understand that there's a whole, he knew that I loved entertainment, but there's an entire other. There's layers and layers and layers of this onion. So, yeah. so for me, Dick Donner kind of showed me like, hey, you know, if you love entertainment, there's a lot of ways you can contribute. And what I love about entertainment and art is that, you know, there's that idea that art is the highest end of, you know, it, uh, art is the greatest, uh, you know, art is the greatest uh, aim of civilization. When we look at old civilizations, we look at Roman architecture. We look at Roman statues. You know, we we read their plays, and the fact that Goonies, back to Goonies, which is something we did 35 years ago, this weird little movie, it still impacts people. Or you know, or so so to me, like Dick Donner showed me that there's another way to kind of help work with artists and help artists create art, which is you know to me the most important thing. Yeah, I that's so great. That's so great, dude. Well, I, I was I was hoping it was something like that and not you being like, well, I got my fifth DUI and I was like, I got to start representing myself. Oh, contracts are easier. Yeah, dude. Dick Donner. He's the man. I, I, any major dude for me, actually, when I listen to the song, any major dude, I think of Dick Donner. Really? Any major dude with, with half a heart surely would tell you, my friend, any minor world that breaks apart falls together again when the demon is at your door. In the morning, he won't be there no more. If I had a major dude in my life, it's Dick. Dick was like, hey, kid, it's okay. It's going to be all right, you know? Yeah, that's so great. All right, uh, Parker's Band. Uh, this is a tribute to uh, Charlie Bird Parker, uh, one of my favorite jazz musicians. Uh, and if you don't know who he is, jazz saxophonist, icon of the beat generation, in which of which Fagan and Becker were enamored by and emulated. Uh, Bird is Dougal for sure. I love this dude. Interesting fact, Steely Dan drummer Jim Hodder's only contribution to this record was backing up vocals on this song as he was replaced by Jim Gordon and Jeff Picaro, who played on this one together here's a fun little lyric i pulled uh jt play 101 
on an armadillo has definitely changed meanings over the years. You can, can all agree with that. Um, they got a lot of weird songs, man. They got a lot of weird songs. Like the song The Fez is about uh, wearing a condom. The song Peg is actually about pornography. Like they they just do all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Um, thoughts on this song? Do you have anything? Any stories? Anything? Just a nice, crazy little rambler. It's like a little rambler. It kind of warms you up, man. Gets you loose. Gets you loose to the dance. Perfect way to, to describe it. It definitely is a rambler. So now uh, I want to talk about getting the band back together because uh, what got me to see the Goonies uh, recently with my nieces and my nephew was uh, you did a virtual reunion with Josh Gad and you had another that raised over $100,000 for No Kid Left Hungry with a live Goonies script read through, which I watched and dude, like I cried. I cried at the end because they were still playing the music. They were playing the music when you're talking to Chunk and you're like how much you love him and how he's going to live with you. My God, Waterworks. And you guys are also like, you guys, you guys all genuinely look like you have this fondness for each other and the experience must have been so incredible. So would you officially tell us here on the 500 podcast if you'd be in for a sequel? I'm much safer behind the desk, Josh. I'm much safer here. On I like I like the entertainment law thing. It's nice. I don't have to audition, but I still get to go to the parties. It's kind of a great deal, man. I don't want to blow it. It's a good gig. It's a good gig, you know. So if so if so, then that being said, if everybody, every single person was in, every single one, and they were like Jeff, everyone, and they were like, well, all we need is a week, maybe a month. All right, look. Casablanca. There was only one Casablanca. There's no Casablanca 2. They didn't need to be like Casablanca 2, you know, Casablanca part. There's only one Citizen Kane. There's not like Citizen Kane part 2, what happens, you know, the prequel or something, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think Goonies is good as it is, man. Like, when you do a sequel that's 35 years after the original, might I direct you to Wall Street 2? <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally different movies. Totally different. Every vibe, everything. But bro, think about it like this, Jeff. Dude, you're you're in such great shape now. You look fantastic. How dope would it be to pack on 70 pounds to play chunk? You could just eat butter sticks, bro. <laughs> I just do it like raging bull, like De Niro getting ready for raging bull. It's like just get like seven. dude, at this point I couldn't lose it again. It was hard enough to lose it the first time, dude. I ain't risking it. I ain't risking it. I went from chunk to hunk. I'm not going back to chunk. Because what if I can't screw back to hunk and then I'm screwed? And they're like, why are you such a chunk? I'll be like, Josh Adam Myers told me. <laughs> Don't blame me. I have nothing to do with it. Blame Dick Donner, bro. Dick Donner's asking. I'm not, I'm just saying I'd watch it. You got my money. That's all I'm saying is you got well, my I, money. I, I'll keep that in mind as I monitor the situation, Josh. I love I really it. Appreciate it. I love it. I love you. You don't you don't have to do it. Don't even trip. If you don't want to, don't do it. I get it. But, all, right, all right. All right. So the next song, uh, Through the Buzz, it's only 90 seconds long. It's uh, it's it's a great song. Shortest song on the record. I loved the, uh, the uh, string quartet backing of it. It is one of only two songs on this record with an orchestral score. Do you have anything you want to say about Through the Buzz? Uh, it's about uh, the buzz. It's about, you know, kind of substances. And there's, you know, they've, they've had various, you know, you know, Walter gone have had substance abuse issues um, over the years. So a number of their songs touch on that in a kind of very honest, interesting way. So 
Ooh, I don't even know if I knew that. Good for you, dude. You 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 did some research. Just play the play where he says takes all my money. Play that real quick. All my money You know I'm this, is, this, this, this should be your theme song, bro. Jeff, this is... You know when your clients are like, he takes all my money. Like when my assistant puts him on hold, if the whole music was, he takes all your money. Dude, oh my God, I love you. All right, we're getting, now we're at Pretzel Logic, the title track. Uh, before I even get into it, tell me why you love this. Tell me why it's perfect. I never met Napoleon, but I plan to make the time. He looks so fine upon that hill. They tell me he was lonely. He's lonely still. Uh, you know, it's just these, it's these romantic, you know, odd vignettes about time travel, about different places to be and like feeling like you're not in the right time. You know, just kind of fantasizing like, hey, instead of being here sitting quarantined in 2021, what it would be like to be hanging out with Napoleon? What would it be like? Like, maybe that's where I actually belong, you know? And they actually, they have another song, which is called Any World That I'm Welcome To, which also kind of discusses that same issue. But the idea is basically, you know, it's this beautiful kind of, you know, you're, you're a fish, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're a magic frog in a regular garden. You kind of just don't belong. Where's the right place where you belong? So interesting fact about this, uh, this little blue shuffle is about time traveling, like you said, uh, and it has been thought to be a reaction to touring, uh, which Fagan and Becker disliked and found especially objectable in the South. This is something also even cooler, dude. Uh, it's also Walter Becker's debut guitar solo after previously being the bass player only. Uh, let's hear it. This reminds me of um, like some Muscle Shoals stuff. This is very like blue. It is very bluesy, but it's just it has this like Boz Skaggs uh, debut record feel to it. Well, you know, it's, I think it's a great point. Like with Dan, um, there's jazz, there's blues, there's there's rock, there's swing, but you never get the feeling that they're ripping anyone off. You never get the feeling that they're trying to you know, copy someone. They always kind of take it and they kind of make it their own. They kind of bring it into their own style. But it was funny. The last, of course, you know, you know, unfortunately, of course, you know, uh, you know, Walter Becker passed away. The last time I saw Walter play was at the Venetian. I think they were playing like three shows. So I came in for all three in Vegas and uh, it's special to me. The, so at the end of the third show, they always do like an encore. And so the, the song that they did as an encore, the final time that I saw them play was Pretzel Logic. And to me, that's so Dan, because they don't finish with Peg. They don't finish with Hey 19. They don't finish with the, you know, they finish with the one they want to finish with. They want to finish with this crazy, meandering, you know, in a good way, you know, kind of rambling blues song. And it's beautiful. And, and for me, it's like always kind of meaningful. And I thought it was beautiful that, that that's how they finished it. They finished it how they wanted to finish it, you know. I think that's badass, dude. I did something else that's really funny is uh, Walter spent so long cutting together his solo from so many different earlier takes that at one point he asked if he played it. 
Yeah, apparently like in, the, in the studios, it was supposed to, it was crazy. I mean, like they would just, again, I'm not very familiar with that world, but they would just do take after take after take and just go through musicians. But ultimately, you can't argue with the final product. No, not at all. Can't argue with it. All right. Uh, with a gun, uh, this definitely stands out to me. Uh, play nine seconds in, JT. I could be wrong, but I have seen your face before. You were the man that I saw running from the store. But you gave him something more With a gun With a gun So, uh, they were trying to go for a Johnny Cash feel And let me tell you something It's cashy It's cashy as shit It's very cashy It's about a dude who got caught after ripping off and killing his business partner Sung by his former friend who turned his back on him after his violent streak well, so that's the thing with Dan, like you have these like really interesting, weird narrative songs. Um, and to that end, there's one, there's one Don Fagan quote or one thing that I think is like relevant that I, you might get a kick out of. I read this one interview from Don Fagan a few years ago um, and the interviewer was kind of snarky, you know, and, and basically they were like, hey, Don Fagan, you're doing this big tour and you're playing the Beacon Theater, this marvelous theater in New York, and you play the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles and you play all these great venues, but, you know, here, you know, this night you're playing this kind of, you know, smaller casino in Iowa. Is it weird that, you know, you're playing to these, you know, like wealthy, you know, people in LA and New York and, you know, some kind of drunk gambler who the pit boss gives a ticket to rambles in, then you have to play for him. Is that weird for you? And what Don Fagan said is he said, you know what? He said, maybe that, you know, that gambler who kind of stumbles in, in this small casino in Iowa, Maybe he needs the music more than the rich guy does in LA or the rich guy does in New York. Maybe our song can be more impactful for that person. And to me, that's, that's just like says it all. Just saying like, you know, not caring about the bullshit, not caring about the flash, just caring about the music and caring about people, how it impacts people. So to me, that was a really important quote from Don. I, I love that. And it's actually a good segue into my question, talking about, you know, taking care of people. Like, did anything ever happen to you while you were in business as a child actor? Uh, did you ever get like screwed that now that you're an entertainment lawyer are more sensitive to uh, with your clients? I think actually being a kid actor, you know, absolutely informs being an attorney, you know, because being able to see what it was like on the other side of it. And it's not just academic because I understand that when you're a performer, you are vulnerable. <laughs> you are vulnerable. You know, you are putting yourself out there for criticism and judgment. And, you know, it's, it's not just academic. Like I, I really have an empathy for that. Um, and, you know, there's, it very much informs, you know, kind of, me wanting to protect, represent, help my, you know, clients create art. And it's a ruthless business. You know what I mean? It is a, it is a ruthless business. And I think kind of growing up in it and understanding the culture, <laughs> you know, like it's funny, actually, the one thing I really enjoy about being an entertainment lawyer, and I kind of view it as the polar opposite of being a child actor. When you're a kid actor, you have literally the shortest shelf life in entertainment. You know what I mean? The moment you know, your body starts growing hair, you're done, you're out. You know what I mean? Like, like it is, it is a short, it is a short window. An entertainment lawyer is actually the longest <laughs> lifespan. In it. Like when you want an entertainment lawyer, you actually want them to be Dumbledore. You want them to be the old guy with the white beard. So, so I, I actually really enjoy the kind of that experience helps inform 
you know, my knowledge of my kind of knowledge of the culture of entertainment and uh, an understanding how hard it is to be a performer because it's rough, man. And that's why you're my lawyer, bro. That is why. Because you get it, dude. You get it. All right. Charlie Freak. Uh, This is another old one. This tells the sad story of a junkie who sells his prized ring to the narrator to buy dope. But when the guilty narrator tries to return it, he finds the junkie has OD'd. So he guiltily slides it back on the dead man's fingers. Now, to everybody out there listening, if you listen, it's very dark. Yes, it's very dark. And yet, and yet, for such a sad story... This shit bounces, especially when the sleigh bells break out in the middle of the song. Play the, the sleigh bells part, JT. Walking, he overdid, embraced the spreading haze. And while he sighed, his body died in 15 ways. We've heard more cowbells. But now we've heard more sleigh bells. More sleigh bells. Sean re-raised the, the, the cow with a sleigh. And, and there you go. And that is the genius of the dance. I can see this being a Christmas song, kind of the way that, like, the movie Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Do you know what I mean? Because this, dude, because this for sure took place during Christmas time because the story is so sad that only Christmas can make it sadder. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's an 11 on the sadometer. Very sad. Very sad. Very sad. I do love the fact that they can take any crazy subject. And sometimes the, like kind of the tone of the song will be totally different. Like for me, the prime example of that is Peg. Peg, it will come back to you. Peg. I know I'm a terrible singer. So I'm embarrassed. I was but, but it's this very like upbeat, happy, like Peg. And like every time they would play it, you know, at their concerts, that's the one song everybody rocks out to. People stand up in their chairs, hey, everybody's dancing, got some Chardonnay, everybody's doing it. But what the song is actually about is a woman who's in a pornographic film. And when he says, Peg, and it's her movie premiere, so it, it's exciting and everyone's, you know, lauding her, but it's like, Peg, it will come back to you. Like, like I know this is your big night, but this could bite you in the ass, you know? So I love the fact that they can kind of have a story that's going one way. And then kind of pull you the, you know, tell you the other way with the music. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. All right, I want to talk about uh, not prize possession, but I want to talk about prize moment. What was your prize moment? What was the most, like, the one that you always can look back on and just be like, good God, when you were working on Goonies? What was your, what was like your swan song moment? You know, I do one scene in Goonies where they uh, they put my hand in a blender and um, and I cry and I like, you know, I make up all these stories and stuff. Um, and uh, the Fratelli brothers, uh, Joey Pantaleone, who's marvelous, and um, Robert Davi, who's great. And of course, Ann Ramsey. I love Ann Ramsey, Mama Fratelli. A beautiful person, a really beautiful person who I miss. Um, but it's hard for me to cry. Like, you know, you're a kid and you got to cry. So, you know, this is like, you know, child labor laws weren't as advanced at this point uh, in 1985. So what these crazy bastards did 
is Joey and uh, and Robert would pull the hairs off of my head, but not like the regular hairs, like the little baby hairs on my neck, and it hurt like a bitch. And so like I would and like I'd look to the director, I'd look to Dick Donner to like stop him, and he's like, oh, it's working. So we just kind of let him go with it. And uh, it's a different time. Josh is very different time. Uh, again, child actors, drug problems. Um, but it was it was kind of it was amazing that they all kind of like helped me get into this place. Um, by, you know, by literally doing this acting trick and just pulling the hairs in the bottom of my neck, making me cry and just kind of, you know, doing it. And then, and then ultimately being really proud of it. Like that was something, cause I was always very nervous about doing that scene. So that do it in a way that worked and, you know, just, just kind of that, you know what it is, man. It's like, maybe like in music, you have a band and there's like that excitement of like, oh, we can, we're playing, everyone's doing their part. We're all playing together. And it's like, it's like being in a band with the director and the camera person and, and the other actors you're working with and to just play off each other like that and to create something that's interesting. Like to me, that was just like a really beautiful moment that sticks, you know? Oh, I love that. Did you get to keep anything or is there anything that you still have from the Goonies set? Did they let you keep shit? <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, It's funny. I have uh, uh, one of the original uh, uh, chunk outfits. Like I have the full on, like the Hawaiian shirt, the plaid pants, the like red um, thing and I have it like you know perfectly like preserved and stuff like that vacuum sealed man you know so I can I can I can sell it on eBay when shit if shit starts going wrong with my legal practice I can like ready to go you know pop that so, so that's kind of a, a fun bit of memorabilia oh that's great that's great all right um the album closes with monkey in your soul and after you figure out where the one is uh you really 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 get a nice way to end this album because what i love about steely dan and i think you can agree is they're not writing these anthemic ballads that like like i'm not gonna this is the only band that i popped in my head when i thought of anthemic ballads like you two or like coldplay it's like they're writing these jazzier songs so in my opinion the jazzier the better and what a perfect jazzy way to end an album which i think is a perfect song to close and the fuzz bass and the horns just kill it uh play a little taste jt Like what I love about it, man, is it, and, and I want to tell this to your listeners because a lot of people like, <laughs> what's the technical term? Shit on it. A lot of people shit on Dan. <laughs> like they're not, you know, they're, I did. They don't think I did. But, but, I raised my hand and, for that. You know, but, and like pretzel logic is kind of like black belt level. Like pretzel logic's like pretty, you know, you have to kind of like get into it. There's an album called Decade of Dan, which is kind of their greatest hits. And that's a great, for your listeners, that's a great entry point. Because it has their big numbers. It's like a great way to kind of like get into it. And if that works, you can get into pretzel logic. And for me, it's like you just got to let it kind of wash over you because it's so complex. The lyrics are going to be complex. The themes are going to be complex. The arrangements are going to be complex and, and diverse. And like this, like what a, what a remarkable way to end the album, you know? I, I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Uh, let you want to do some facts and we'll get you out of here? Let's do it. Fact it up. You tried to say this earlier, but I cut you off because I have a whole thing planned. All right, man. Fagan and Becker. Heard of them, yes. Police Army, listen to this shit because this shit is dope. Fagan and Becker named the band after a series of strap-on dildos referred to in William S. Burroughs' 1959 novel, Naked Lunch. You knew that, of course. 
Is that awesome? That is awesome. Is that awesome? And we all say it, Steely Dan. We are saying the name of a of a fictional of a fictional sexual toy, uh, and it's on every you know Steely Dan T-shirt and every like like it's a very weird thing, but that's Steely Dan in a nutshell. It is, you know. So here's yeah. what I've done. All right, so I've got uh, five names. One of them is a band name. Four of them are dildos. Okay. You tell me which is the band. All right. Okay? Fair enough. All right. Here we go. Pearl Royale. Nob Essence. Lilo Inez. Gay for Johnny Depp. Or Real Cock 2. Okay. I think the Lilo one, I think, is the band. Nope. Lilo Inez. Uh, Jeremiah, can you Google Lilo Inez and show him the answer? Oh, well, there you go. It's a nice. It's a classy dildo. So you were wrong. It's above the, my pay grade. It's not my area of expertise, man. I'm square like a box of Applejack. Gosh, I have that. The band name, and and trust me, because I I thought it was going to be, I think the real band name should be Knob Essence, which is like a black vocal group, you know, like, like kind of like En Vogue, like Knob Essence. Uh, But the the band was gay for Johnny Depp. Could you believe that? Did not know that. Yeah. They've they've never opened for Steely Dan. Otherwise, I would have They did not. That would be a good show. Steely Dan and gay for Johnny Depp at the at the Lewis Gossett Jr. Amphitheater. All right. Uh, the album features future Toto drummers uh, Steve Picaro uh, and keyboardist David Page. I hope I said that right. And future Eagles bassist and vocalist Timothy B. Schmidt, who sang backup vocals on three songs. So I wanted to ask you, were you ever offered anything after the Goonies or audition for anything that you think would have been your next hit? Dude, uh, you gotta like go out on top, dude. You gotta pull a Seinfeld and just just bail at the episode four hundred. No, um, you know it's funny. I did a lot of television stuff, um, but you know, I mean, like pretty soon, you know, pretty soon thereafter, it just kind of I started to look different, you know, especially when you're like kind of the chunky kid, and when you're not chunky, you just kind of you have to kind of figure something else out. Although originally a guitarist, Walter Becker played bass with Steely Dan before switching back for most of his, these albums after monster session player Chuck Rainey joined them for a few songs and blew them away. As Becker explained after meeting Rainey, I felt there really was no need for me to be bringing my bass guitar to the studio anymore. So I wanted to ask you, who was the coolest person you met during your acting years? You know, I met Jimmy Stewart. I met Jimmy Stewart um, just around, just randomly at Warner Brothers. And even as, even though I was, a, you know, as a kid, I was a tremendous fan. You know, it's a wonderful life, and he was he was much older at the time. Um, so I think meeting Jimmy Stewart was just like, I mean, it's, un- it's like you can't actually believe that you're actually seeing the guy. It was it was unbelievable. Where was it? Where'd you meet him? Uh, it was on, it was on, um, it was at, it was at Warner brothers, just randomly walking around from one stage to another stage. So that was like, my God, it's like, cause there's, there's an actor. And then there's like, my God, that's, that's, I mean, he's, he's an icon. He's an icon. He, he's, you know, yeah. He's like, he's the dude. He's like that. He's the Tom Hanks of like the 1930s. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think, for, I think that's apt, right? That's like an apt. Got yeah, a comparison, like, right? like an everyman, like an accessible everyman who's charismatic. Yeah, it was. I it mean, was you could replace cool. you could replace you know Jimmy with with Tom in all of those movies, and people would be like, "Yeah, that's good casting." Yeah, for sure. I should be a casting director. I see. <laughs> the cover photo of a New York pretzel vendor who spelled pretzel wrong on his cart was shot by celebrity and musician photographer 
Rayanne Rubenstein. She took it just above the 79th Street Transverse, uh, the road through Central Park, at the park entrance called Miner's Gate. It looks slightly different now, but to ask you, you've changed a lot. So how often do people meet you and think they know you, but they can't figure it out? You know, it's, um, again, as you know, you know, uh, you know, we're in the entertainment business. So, it, you know, I'm, I'm left, I'm probably not going to be, you know, the fourth most famous person in any room that I'm in, in in any given time. So basically kind of everybody around me kind of knows and kind of, you know, you know, gets a kick out of it. But, but the nice thing is I can be incognito when I go out, which is fun. And actually it was funny. I was um, in Manhattan a, a few years ago, uh, back when you could travel. And uh, I was at uh, a, a Midtown Comics, Midtown Comics. I'm, I'm like a comic book nerd. I had some time between meetings um, and I went in to like check out some comics, see what's going on. And they had new Goonies action figures because they'll just be random, weird, you know, merchandise that comes out. So I was like, oh, wow, cool. New Goonies action figures. And they were fun. They were like the little Kenner ones for the, of the original Star Wars figures, like those in a little box. So I was like, wow, this is great. So I bought one of each of the characters and then I bought three extra chunks because, you know, you know, Jewish mother, you got to give the Jewish mother a chunk doll and then you need an extra little chunk one. So I bought, you know, I, I, I was checking out and the lady was ringing me up and she was ringing me up and she looked at me and she goes, four chunks. And I looked at her and I said, I'm a big fan of his work. And I just took the bag and I just walked out, you know, <laughs> so it, it's fun to like have weird little moments of like people, you know, of, of that or seeing someone like in a chunk T-shirt or something like that and just being able to kind of, you know, touch it and just kind of bail. It's kind of oh, I love it. I, I would have had no idea. Honestly, Jeff, I would have had no idea. Unless I would have gone on IMDb while watching the Goonies and gone, wait, that's my lawyer. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. All right. Do you want to do some speed questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Here we go. Well, you already answered the the first one, which is your favorite song on the record. And that is Ricky Don't Lose. Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Yeah. All right. So what song do you skip on this record? What is your least favorite? You know what? You know what's interesting? I'm I'm so I love lyrics are so important to me. I really like focus on the lyrics. So uh, East St. Louis uh, Toodle Doo Toodle um, Although it's a great, it's a beautiful song, and it's Duke Ellington, and it's 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 terrible to say I'm skipping a Duke Ellington song, but because it's just instrumental, I prefer the songs with the lyrics on it. Okay. Um, but on that note, we're just letting you know that you are now uh, demoted as a Steely Dan super fan because we actually this is have a Don and, this is a trick Don, question? Don and Walter here in the ghost of Walter. Oh my God. Why would you say that about us? I was hoisted on my own petard. Oh my God. All right. Um, is this your favorite Steely Dan record? You know, what's interesting. You know, what's interesting. I, I, I like my, my favorite Steely Dan record is the one that I created myself. You know what I mean? Is like it's. I know that that's a cop out. That's a cop out. And if I had to choose one, I mean, I probably would choose Pretzel Logic because it has any major dude because it has Ricky. But the way I really enjoy it is to kind of create my list and and just you know put it all together. So my favorite, you know, Dan for the Man playlist, which is actually called Dan for the Man, has been for ages. You know, it changes, but I, I kind of like. But but there's nothing. There's no song of theirs on any album that isn't worthy of that list. I agree. Like they're, they're, they never phone it in. There's never one that they just kind of phone in. I've never heard, seen your list, but I, I can imagine if somebody's making a dope Steely Dan playlist, it's going to be you. All right. Who has a better voice, Donald Fagan or David Palmer? 
funny. Donald has kind of a, a raspy voice. And I was actually, I was at the Beacon Theater one time with a client. Um, and apparently, I could be off, but I think the band that's played the Beacon Theater the most times, I think is the Allman Brothers, right? Like they've played the Beacon Theater in New York more times than anyone. But I think number two is Steely Dan. Oh, wow. Because they would, yeah, they would just play a week's worth of shows. I mean, it's the number of shows that Steely Dan, there's even actually a little plaque there in the back. There's one for the Allman Brothers, one for Steely Dan. And I asked one of the security guards who's back there. I was like, hey, man, were you ever here when like Steely Dan played? You know, like, what were they like? Like, you know, I was total nerding out. And what the guy said, which I thought was remarkable, is he said, this is terrible. I'm terrible for the kids at home. But before every show, like, he, you know, Donald Fagan would be nervous to go on stage. And he, and he said, the guy said to me, he's like, look, he's like, Donald Fagan would take their light up a cigarette and just. Get that rasp. Basically, just like get the whole cigarette, you know, just, just knock out one cigarette, like in a, in a, in a comically quick manner. And then he would get out there and have that beautiful raspy, raspy voice and sing. So, I mean, Donald doesn't have the, the most beautiful voice, but it works for the songs. Sure. You know? Completely. Um, so, yeah. All right. What song on this record could be playing in the background while you're hooking up. Okay. That's blasphemy, first of all. And you're a dirty man, Josh Adam Myers. Steely Dan is beautiful. <laughs> Steely Dan is beautiful and cannot be sullied with lovemaking. It is in its own place. It is not for lovemaking. Special, beautiful. But you got to pick one. You're a dirty, you're a dirty, uh, God. No, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Come on. I would stop and I would say, you know what? This is, this is a great number. And I would bore the woman with, my story about how important the song was to me. And then afterwards, then we could have a chat. We could continue our chat, but Steely Dan, not appropriate for lovemaking. It is, it is. I would pick because I've got to answer this. I think I would pick, I think, I think probably, I mean, depending on the mood, you know, if, if, if it's first time, any major dude will tell you. <laughs> and, and if we've been dating for a while and we need to mix it up and get freaky night by night, and uh, if I really want to go like crazy, East St. Louis Toodaloo, I'll do it. That's good. That's good. That's, that's solid. Weirder, dude. That's a solid choices. I respect that. I respect that. You know. Um. All right. Now to the pretzel logic question: If you could travel to any time, uh, any place, when, where, and why? Wow, man, that's a great one. That is a great one. To be in Florence, Italy, during the Renaissance. That would be remarkable, you know. They're they're chipping away at they're making a you know, statue of David over here. Niccolo Machiavelli is writing the prince over there. You have pasta. There's lots of carbs and stuff. The wine's pretty good, man. To be in to be in Florence during Renaissance Italy, to me that would be, you know. At first, I have to learn Italian. I'm terrible at foreign language, which is would screw me. So I'd have to really focus on learning Italian. But but that that would be quite amazing, you know. I completely agree. You know what I always say? Like people are always like, "What? You know, if you could go see any band live, like who would you go see?" It doesn't make a difference. I'd be like, "Dude, fucking Beethoven!" Like, yeah, just get yeah. high as balls and sit in like whatever the the fucking German places are, and just be like, "Dude, it's the Ninth Symphony, and that's Beethoven doing it." Well, yeah, I know it's I know it's Mozart, but you've you've seen Amadeus, the film. Of Amadeus, course, right? just beautiful. That, that's a great answer too. That, that's a great, that would be a great time to see like classical musicians, like doing their thing in Vienna. That would be, that would be pretty. That would be bad ass. All right. Um, and the last question, uh, when was the last time you did the truffle shuffle and it doesn't have to be in front of people. You ever just break it out in front of the, in the bathroom mirror. The, the truffle shuffle, a prereq for the truffle shuffle is three martinis. Okay. Like three, 
dry martinis, not like dry martinis. And after that, if I did the truffle shuffle, I probably wouldn't remember. So per, I, there's nothing that I can recall. So perhaps it was done, uh, but I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of this truffle shuffle, and I have no recollection. Uh, therefore, too, that's my legal answer. That's why I'm being my own lawyer on that one, John. It's pre-COVID. It's pre-COVID at, at like a Christmas party. Uh, I've never seen you get that tank to JFL, so it's definitely not there because you are on point at JFL. Dude, uh, Jeff, I I can't tell you how much fun this was, man, to be able to like sit here and talk to you about your favorite band because it it rubs off and, and, it's, and it's palpable. Like it really is. When you get to sit down with somebody that loves the band, that gets the band, that understands why they're great and is able to like really, you know, tell people. And man, this, this was a blast. And I just want to say to every listener out there, any person I've ever met in a conversation, I take back any of the bad shit I ever said about Steely Dan. But you know what I will say? Fuck Dire Straits. They can kiss my ass. Who are those guys? Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I was so excited about my, you know, this chance to, to hang out with you and chat and share my love of Dan. And I hope that somewhere out there, some of your listeners, just give it a shot, man. The first one's free. The first one's free. And then you get them on the comeback. You know, hopefully, you know, hopefully they try some Dan, they experiment with the Dan and hopefully it uh, can, you know, impact them. Yeah, dude, Dan, the, the Dan is definitely the fentanyl of music. Like you'll do it once and then you a hundred percent will just OD on it because you'll fuck them. Up. They really are good, man. It's the propofol of, of the, it's a propofol. Yeah. Is there anything you want to promote? Is there anything uh, you want to promote? Here's to go, go ahead. Uh, I want everyone to be safe. I want everyone to stay safe. Uh, uh, you know, we all got to love each other, man. We're going to like get through this. We're going to come through the other side and be stronger. And I love that you're doing this podcast and, you know, kind of really exploring art and sharing music with people. And on the other side of it, we're all brothers. We're going to, you know, we're going to come back stronger and kick some ass. hundred percent, dude. Uh, dude, this you're you're an incredible lawyer, but you're an even better dude. Seriously, this is so much fun. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Jeff Cohen, guys. Find him on Instagram at Jeff underscore B underscore Cohen. And the same thing goes for his Twitter. And if you guys need a good lawyer, Cohen and Gardner, come on, y'all. Now, we just listened to Steely Dan from 1974. Our new music pick this week is Field Music, and you are listening right now to their song, Money is a Memory, a track from their 2020 album, Making a New World. Field Music is a duo made up of English brothers David and Peter Brewis. The two formed the band in 2004 and have members of the Future Heads and Maximo Park as part of their rotating lineup. They have mentioned Steely Dan as one of their biggest instrumental influences. And you can find all the links to their music on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Bob Dylan week as we go deep into his 2001 album, Love and Theft. Do your homework. Doogle, doogle. Stay clean.
punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.